This episode of Engineering Matters was created in partnership with consultant Atkins. Well, the construction industry, uh, there's no hiding from it, has a dreadful record of productivity improvement. I think the statistics say for the last 30 years, the productivity is absolutely flat, whereas in the wider economy, it's improved by around circa 30%. So there's no arguing with the the facts and the statistics there, I don't think. Um, So I don't just think it's about, uh, in fact, I don't think it's about digital. I think it's about um, a lack of adoption of new methods. Some people find that a bit scary. And I think it's okay to feel scared. It's okay to be out your comfort zone. We've looked at that and realised that actually clients, they don't want to be told about the unicorn at the end. They want to know about what they can do now. It's about inspiring people. It's simple as that. You know, the, the Fred Dibners have gone. It's about trying to get people engaged with school kids and uh, showing them what actually is engineering. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Bernadette Ballantyne, and in this episode, we're exploring the productivity puzzle, and more specifically, what consultants in engineering can do about it. Historically, productivity, measured as the output per hours worked, has improved with economic growth. But since the global financial crisis and the UK's subsequent recession, UK productivity has flatlined. Yet this is despite economic recovery and therefore goes against the long-term pattern. The Office for National Statistics calls this the productivity puzzle. And for construction, the situation is even worse. Well, the construction industry, uh, there's no hiding from it, has a dreadful record of productivity improvement. I think the statistics say for the last 30 years, the productivity is absolutely flat, whereas in the wider economy, it's improved by around circa 30%. So there's no arguing with the the facts and the statistics there, I don't think. Um, So I don't just think it's about, uh, in fact, I don't think it's about digital. I think it's about um, a lack of adoption of new methods. If you look at uh, industries like manufacturing, where they've been deep into lean and process improvement for for 30, 40 years, and and yet there are certainly many parts of the construction industry that still haven't really got a hold of those, those tools and techniques to improve productivity. And for Richard, who's UK and Europe Chief Executive of Design, Engineering and Project Management Consultancy Atkins, this isn't good enough. His firm of over 10,000 employees in the UK and Europe is on a mission to improve productivity and bring these new methods into the built environment. Consultants like Atkins are involved with transport, buildings, energy, water and many other types of major infrastructure. And critically, it's their involvement throughout the entire project cycle, from planning of schemes in the first place to design, construction and then operation and performance of assets for decades into the future, that puts them in a strong position to influence productivity through the industry. But Richard and his team know that this is a mission that can't be carried out in isolation. Collaboration between all of the different stakeholders is critical in enabling transformation. And so last week, Atkins invited a cross-section of people from industry to participate in a debate on transforming consultancy to improve productivity. Richard Robinson began by explaining why this is a critical time for change. So if you think about the the advent of big data, uh, internet of things, the speed of the internet and connectivity, and uh, exponential growth in computing power that's occurred and storage, 
those things mean that we that we can do more with computing now than was ever possible. So the advent of um, artificial intelligence is enabling us to do something with all that big data. Um, it's also enabling us or, or providing the possibility of automating things that, that were never automatable in the past. Uh, so I think the confluence of these mega trends is what's, what's really uh, opening up just tons of new possibilities. A confluence of mega trends, which notably revolve around data, a driving change. But as Richard says, the industry has historically failed to adopt new technology. Andrew Dodsworth, a programme director at the UK's biggest contractor, Balfour Beatty, was one of the panellists and he urged the industry to think big, start small. So now near future, 70-20-10. So 70% of the time companies use what's here and now. 20% of the time they're looking at what's on the horizon and 10% of the time it's about technologies of the future. And you've got to spend some time in the 10 because otherwise you don't really know your direction, you know, and you only get a high performing team when they can come together around a common vision and goals, work collectively together to work towards that future. But think big, start small, start small with what am I going to do tomorrow? One of the first steps for the industry is increasing automation. And that's already happened in manufacturing, aerospace and the oil and gas industries. Andy explained more about how he sees technology impacting construction. The history of construction is, or the way that we've worked as computers have come in to be used, is that we took paper-based work and made it a paper-based form, but on a computer screen. Um, and we've taken this its forms, then its process, and then its systems. And what's happening is now that we're able to take something which is form, which is paper, and now digitise that, which is great. Um, and we can then use a process with workflows in the background to start uh, connecting forms together. And when I say forms, I actually mean data points together. So self-population of basic information that then feeds into a bigger system. So we say automate the boring stuff. The bo- you know, so it just, let's just make it real and easy for people. And then you get to the system. So. If you can have digitised forms and you've got workflows, you can wrap that into a system, so an ecosystem, if it were. So Apple have iOS, you know, Google have Android. They're ecosystems. You buy into that system. So, the, you know, the future of construction is that we'll be these ecosystems. Supply chain will be bought in, the consultant partners will be bought in, customers will be bought in, and we'll work inside this system, which is an ecosystem where data flows freely all the boring stuff is automated but we need our brains still to think about what we should be doing how we should be doing it but we're surface data to us on a regular basis working in these construction ecosystems is not that far away and on the design side building information modeling has seen design move into the 3d digital world for recent entrance to the industry this environment is the new normal when I talk to some of the, the lecturers at college who've been around and they know the sector, you know, so well, they tell me stories of when they used to walk in the office and there'd just be rolls of paper out. And... This is Joel Shevlin, a transport planner three years into his apprenticeship, working in the Manchester office of Atkins. You know, actual manual drawings of street networks and people putting numbers on it and just scribbling and, you know, and how they managed to store all that, I don't know how they did it, but they can, they can see already how fast things have changed. What's normal to Joel and his colleagues is to be digital. It'll be a model space and it would be somewhere we can all re- work off it. So that collaborative element is key. Now the collaborative element is key. And the nature of collaboration is changing too. So I think it's important to remember that our working environment is changing at the moment. This is Natalie Patterson, an Atkins graduate working in programme management on a Ministry of Defence project. And traditionally we would all have our own desks and it's so easy to collaborate when you're sat next to someone and face to face. But Atkins is really well known for being flexible 
and everyone takes advantage of that. People work from home, they work remotely. So it's important that we can collaborate online. Um, so I think it's really important that we just remember that if we have some information that would be helpful to others to share it. From a new transformational technology perspective, one of the things that Natalie's excited about is virtual reality in programme management. From VR headsets that can create group meeting spaces literally anywhere to virtual reality programme management dashboards replacing computer monitors, a concept Natalie calls virtual dashboarding. So project management offices provide guidance on how to manage programmes and make sure that they fit in with the whole strategy of the business. Um, and there's been a lot of revolution really recently of being able to use a VR headset for that and you can pop it on and look at all the different programs that are going on across the business and look at all the different data that comes from that with a click of the air. <laughs> Virtual dashboarding is a really interesting one. So this is Andrew from Balfour Beauty again. Data came up earlier. How good is our data? At the moment, we can only really describe what we've got. Our, our dashboarding is a chart that says, is it a trend? Is it going the right way, the wrong way? The next bit we need to get to, which is what we're, we're on at the moment, is can it start to predict where we're going to be? Will, will we have a quality issue with that particular uh, product, for instance? The third bit we've got to get to, or the next phase, the future bit, is prescriptive. So not only does it tell us there's something going to go wrong, it advises on the next steps and could potentially take those next steps for us. Inside all of that is, is virtual dashboarding. Automation and prediction. Andrew's talking about taking the industry into the realms of artificial intelligence or AI. Here's Richard again. In terms of the most transformative technologies, I think AI sits at, sits at the very top of the top of the stack at the moment. You, you need many several enablers to do that, but I think AI will, will it will be the key transformative technology. And this will be used alongside a plethora of other tools. Atkins Digital Director Nick Tune explains how digital transformation is unfolding. So digital transformation um, actually means the way that we work, but also the contracts and how we work. So we're moving from a time and materials labor intensive way um, to more digitized processes um, based on the, the data to improve decision making. We've got new entrants coming into the market with new solutions and the way that we need to design as engineers needs to evolve and to change to get better value to the clients because the clients don't want to continually pay for the same type of design time and time and time again. And this again comes back to what was normal in the past. A system of paper-based data which was largely kept by the party that generated it, meaning it was lost as soon as buildings were built, tunnels bored or roads operational. But now this digital data can be collected, analysed and used long into an asset's life. And we'll talk more about how this can be used to create digital versions of infrastructure, digital twins, later. You know, people have talked about BIM for a long time. Um, and BIM, you know, people think of as just 3D modelling. When most of the actual benefit actually comes from information management and having the right information at the right time to make decisions, it sounds really simple. Um, and I often say that we, we always design and we always build based on people's experience, where we actually need to have experience and data to have the best insights to be able to make the right decisions. And it's that data i.e. all the information that's needed. And that's from the very beginning with understanding your client properly through to your bidding, through to your design and actually getting that information right, right the way through the life cycle and having that data so you can improve the way we do project management and actually get better delivery on time. 
In terms of improving productivity, Nick explains how this improvement in data capture and flow and the working in a digital collaborative space means that projects are being delivered better for less. Um, we're delivering a project a redesign of Croydon Station and that's a brilliant example on uh, uh, um, how to do information management properly. So Network Rail did a really clear spec in terms of what they wanted and we did a really good plan between the information manager, the engineering manager um, and the project manager and then in our design we did it in an agile manner so it was done with reviews weekly or fortnightly in the 3D model but with all the partners involved including the client so we agile in how we designed, we agile how we reviewed so the engineers are doing their review actually in the model and then we're doing it collaboratively with the client. This gives the client more visibility over any redesign and means that changes or issues are spotted earlier, making them much cheaper to resolve. And just as Richard predicted, automation and AI is having a big impact too. So one of the things we found when we were designing overhead line electrification was the time it took us and we couldn't actually fulfill the contract because it was too time consuming. And now actually when you design them, it has a huge amount of repeat process. So we designed uh, uh, algorithms, if you like, to automate that process. So we took the design time down by 60% in, in, in the hours actually saved. Now, the client is really happy because we get to do it 60% faster. We get an increased margin um, and the quality probably improves. Taking this further, a concept called generative design is set to transform productivity. And I think the real opportunity around generative design is actually in the early phase of design. So in optioneering, so people often talk about design it right first time. I actually say, no, design it a thousand times, but use it generatively by a computer to pick the optimal. And then when you go to detailed design, detailed design it right the first time. And this is happening now with a project that Nick calls Bridge in a Box where we've done the we've made a generative design tool based on the computational engineering um, and that's spitting out those thousands of options from that then we're picking the optimal one and actually the biggest benefit we found is actually not so much just in selecting which bridge design but actually in the checking of the bridges so um, in our global design center in india where they do a load of the bridge checking of our designs they can now run it through that process and do it so much faster and get better accuracy Another side effect of the improved data capture, processing and analysis that Nick described is that this is being passed on to client organisations to enable them to better manage and operate their infrastructure and buildings long into the future. This is Director of Digital Engineering Simon Evans. At its core, all the definitions broadly align and say that it's some type of digital representation of a physical thing and that that physical and that digital version of each other are somehow connected via some type of electrical or physical connection. The key part of the digital twin is about how the information flows between the physical and the digital. The twin is fed environmental data from its physical sibling. And in that digital environment, simulations can be made, uh, what-if questions asked, insights generated. Then those insights can be used to make decisions that are put back and, let's say, intervened into the physical. By simply put, you get to decide and simulate something in a virtual way and then put those practiced tasks into action in the physical. So it actually provides a virtual testing ground that can provide information about how a system will respond in various situations. Disaster modelling is an obvious example, but more regular uses will be around maintenance and making systems more efficient and responsive. For example, responsive buildings that only heat and light the areas that are in use. 
This technology is expected to be so transformational that the UK government's committed to creating a digital twin of our entire built environment. The National Digital Twin would actually be a network of digital twins that can communicate with each other, bringing enormous advantages to users of the built environment. So the National Digital Twin, I think, is really exciting. But is it a technology that will help the UK be more productive? So from a productivity perspective, creating a National Digital Twin will, in essence, enable the greater and faster communication of data between various parties, particularly if they're related to uh, infrastructure or assets that don't normally talk to each other. Let's imagine you're driving down a road on a vehicle. Let's call it an autonomous car for now. You're in your car, it's electrical powered, it's semi-driving itself, and it's getting to a low point of energy or its battery. The road and the car are talking to each other. Their digital twins are talking, so the car knows where it's positioned, all the traffic movements around it, and what it can do. So when its battery begins to run low, it can communicate to the road and say, hey, I'm low of battery, what do I do? The road then replies, by the way, there's a charging station just down the road. At the same time, it will tell the charging station that expect a car to come. And it doesn't end there. Then the energy network can redistribute power just to the right amount to that charging station so that the car can be filled up with the right amount of energy to go on its journey. Now, whilst you're doing that, ahead in the road, a rainfall happens, quite a heavy rainfall, which has a danger of flooding the road, or maybe a partial number of lanes. So whilst you're doing that and you're charging your car, the car has been redirected and said, don't go down there because we're probably going to have a reduced number of lanes, there's a more effective route. But equally, the water network has been informed of this flood and therefore is redistributing water from various parts of the network to allow that main drainage to be filled with the road flow instead. So for consumers, these digital twins will transform day-to-day -day life. But Simon also says that this level of digital twin interaction is a long-term, multi-generational project. But as Andy mentioned, these technologies of the future can be brought in now in smaller ways. Simon says clients don't necessarily need this level of sophistication in their assets at the moment. And what you often see if you look at the market is many people talking about the unicorn of what you could achieve if you implement a digital twin approach, the aspirational endgame, rather than the incremental steps along the journey. Now that's important because as Atkins we've looked at that and realised that actually clients, they don't want to be told about the unicorn at the end, they want to know about what they can do now. What's the first step I can do with my limited capex and opex budget to be able to get myself on that journey of creating a digital twin, but also not have to worry about so much the end state. This led Atkins to work with another of our episode partners, the Institution of Engineering and Technology, the IET, on a white paper that sets out a maturity spectrum for the adoption of digital twins, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Just as importantly, many owners of infrastructure assets are not talking about using a 3D model to design a new asset and then populating this with live data once a building or road is created. They're dealing with existing systems. If we look at to the built environment at the moment. A couple of reports have cited that 85% of the assets that we'll be using and living in by 2050 have already been built. This means that the majority of assets that we'll be using for the next 30 years are already here. Making these more efficient and effective is where the real value is. But bringing in these new technologies is only half the story and the panel discussion explored the other half, enabling people to effectively deploy them. This means attracting smart young people into the industry. But a bit like the UK's brownfield infrastructure, the majority of people who will be working with AI, generative design, automated systems, virtual dashboards and digital twins are already in the industry. 
some people find that a bit scary and I think it's okay to feel scared, it's okay to be out your comfort zone. This is panellist Leslie Ward, Design Development Director for the Atkins Transport Business. Some, some people like myself have been in this industry over 30 years and I started on a drawing board. That's where I started my life as an apprentice and so I've seen the move from the drawing board to the computer in terms of AutoCAD that we used in two dimensions to now building information models that you know use three dimensions. The opportunities for these models to then bring in cost, schedule and other factors such as carbon emissions are huge, says Leslie. But it's important to support people in using these new technologies. How do we help people embrace that? How do we make it safe for them to ask for help? rather than just expecting them to transition from a 2D world to a 3D world without any support. Just as experienced professionals have to develop their digital skills, young people coming into the business that can use the tools don't have the depth of knowledge needed to apply them. The 3D world is the norm to them, but they haven't got the experience and the understanding of how to put buildings or roads or railways together. They need to help them more experienced people adapt to the digital world and the more experienced people need to share their experience with with those that are digitally savvy. The answer, says Leslie, is collaboration and honesty. Collaboration is about a safe environment where you can constructively challenge but you can also show a bit of um, vulnerability and a bit of humility because it's a safe environment for you to do that and I think this industry needs to think about that. Panellist Neil Robertson is the Chief Executive of the National Skills Academy for Rail and he says it's not as simple as just retraining people. His organisation has been reviewing research into how our brains process new information and he says there's evidence to show that new digital toolsets use different parts of the brain to the areas that are used in traditional engineering activities. A number of people leave and retire rather than try the new technology. And that means more new people will be needed than previously expected. And this is difficult too, with the panel noting that other industries are often considered more attractive to young people. One of the actions that the National Skills Academy for Rail is taking is to create shared apprenticeships. So far, 12 engineering companies, including Atkins, have signed up to boost their data analyst capabilities. So we're creating cohorts of data analysts who are all pursuing the same same apprenticeship programme in their respective companies, but then they will meet together when they go to college or university. For an apprentice, this is usually one day a week. And then we will hold events for them. Uh, they'll meet the minister. They'll solve, we'll, we'll set them common projects. And this will include guest lectures from the US. And in this way, the Academy is seeking to recreate the kind of community feeling that data analysts get if they're working in Silicon Valley. He says that early interventions are crucial if constructions to compete with other industries, because right now... There's 10 vacancies for every data analyst that applies. And if it comes to a price war, construction's not going to beat finance or manufacturing. So how should the industry attract new people? Joel knows. It's about inspiring people. It's simple as that. You know, the the Fred Dibners have gone. It's about trying to get people engaged with school kids and uh, showing them what actually is engineering because it's such a broad term. How can it be applied to the job? And, and, and as I touched on before, if we could give young people work experience more and more, try and develop partnerships with them and also give colleagues experience to teach in schools and stuff. And, it, you know, it's, it's a mutual uh, benef- benef- benefit. So, uh, yeah, I think it's about inspiring the next generation. And that comes from people who've got a, 
not only the knowledge, but the, the attitude and the communication skills to sort of uh, relay that onto the, to the next generation. Lizzie Stewart, Managing Director for Transportation in the UK, says that part of this is about helping people understand the value of what the industry does for people. So I'm a non-engineer myself. I've got a law degree um, and I really fell into this industry. I didn't really know about this industry, um, accidentally fell into it when I left university. Um, but my gosh, do I love this industry and do I wish I'd known more about it when I was a student? This industry really significantly impacts people's lives. So in, in my part of the business, you know, we deal with transportation. Anyone who rides a bike, anyone who walks anywhere, anyone who gets in a cab, gets on a train, gets on an aeroplane, gets on a bus, you know, you know, the flow of people um, around the UK is what we're doing. And I think that's a really, really exciting story. Um, when you then layer on top of that how transport is connected to the economy um, and the importance of people being able to get to jobs and places of work and the importance of transportation, the freight, the logistics industry um, in the UK economy and how our work in transportation actually stimulates growth, creates jobs, supports um, new housing developments and unlocks pieces of land to, to deliver new houses with the housing crisis. Um, you suddenly realise how fundamental we are to the UK uh, economy, to the UK PLC and our work is so meaningful. It's so meaningful. But one of the points raised at the debate was the way that productivity is measured as a simple calculation of inputted labour hours versus capital value created doesn't appreciate this long-term value. This is Atkins Director for Digital Construction, Neil Thompson. How productivity is calculated as an activity is an interesting one because how we capture our value as a designer, for example, is a bit complicated because we're not paid because of... Um, you know, the outcome value that we bring. So if we design a train station, our price doesn't capture the future value that it brings to society, both in quality, ease of movement, land value or anything like that. So a part of the productivity problem is one, actually, how do you show for the pounds placed into our service? What are the pounds that you get out? To capture this value and show true productivity, Neil says that the business model needs to change and this starts with measuring the baseline so that future benefits can be captured. Doing that means bringing in the tools that Nick, Andrew, Simon and Natalie have mentioned. Tools that allow this data to be harnessed. First of all, we need to deploy digital technology because in order to measure productivity, we need to, we need to use technology to do that. So that's the first point. And then what that enables us to do is to establish the baseline. And it doesn't matter how accurate that baseline is. It just gives us somewhere to start. So that should give us the uh, essentially the return on investment argument for deploying the technology in the first place. Then improve upon our performance based on evidence. And Neil says this has begun to happen in some areas. I, th I think in, in highways, for example, they've done a very good job of measuring how long to deliver a kilometre of roadway, for example. And then that gives you the basis for you to incrementally improve. And it also gives you the ability to simulate. So what we're able to do once we've got that baseline, we could then do smarter things with, um, uh, with computational systems to, to, to come up with a smarter answer and seeing the outcome of that digitally before we stick a spade in the ground, essentially. As we heard in this discussion, transforming consultancy for a more productive future and solving the productivity puzzle means fitting together a number of jigsaw pieces. Sustainable and effective adoption of better data and new technologies, 
attracting more people into the industry and supporting the incredibly smart and capable people already in consultancies to embrace new ways of working. At the heart of all this is collaboration and value. By working together, teams can get the most benefit from transformative technology and learn from one another. And capturing more data means being able to prove the value that infrastructure brings to the economy. If these steps can be brought into business models, then the puzzle will really be complete. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media, researched and hosted by Bernadette Ballantyne, produced by Ross McPherson, edited by John Young and Richard Seston. Executive Productivity Transformer is Rory Harris. Special thanks to Atkins, Balfabiti and the National Skills Academy for Rail. Engineering Matters is available on all podcast apps from iTunes and Spotify to Google Podcasts and Podcast Addict. You can also listen from our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media. If you like us, please share on social media and you can follow us on Twitter at Engineer Matters. <laughs>